You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Did you miss me? I'm back. Welcome back to Crunch Time on a Tuesday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Did an hour and a half of the Jordy Holberg show. Now we got two hours here on Crunch Time as we are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. On today's show, we're going to recap a wild night of the NBA playoffs. Plus, we will look at some of the top stories in sports, including Will Levis's odds shooting to rise up the draft boards. Also, the Jets' general manager has defended the amount that he paid to get Aaron Rodgers. Plus, Brian Peacock will join us at 4.30 to talk NFL draft, and then at 5.30 every Tuesday, we go to the moon with our guys of Apollo HOU. The Houston Astros dropped to the Tampa Bay Rays last night 8-3. to We'll recap that game and how they can bounce back tonight as they are now 12-11 and on the season. Two and a half games back of the Texas Rangers. James Mesh, my co-host and producer, joins me here in the FCO Development Studios. James, you hanging in there, bud? How you feeling? I'm big chilling. Big chilling. Mm-hmm. You, you amaze me. You do. It's the plan every day. <laughs> you, you <laughs> absolutely amaze me. This guy, out of all the things he could say, I'm doing good, Matt. You know, I'm a little tired, Matt. You know, we're we're we're, we're doing good, Matt. Big chilling. Big chilling. Okay. Never change. No, that's <laughs> the plan is to not change. <laughs> then cha- if I change cha- changing was never part of it. <laughs> and if I change, it's for the better. So speaking of the Astros, like I said, they fell eight to three last night. The Tampa Bay Rays, let's talk about this for a second. They are now twenty and three on the season. And they are fourteen and zero. At home. It was their 14th consecutive home win, which is a modern era MLB record. No team has won more than 14 games consecutively at home to begin a season. How pissed do you think the Piper is right now? You think he's fuming? No. No? Because I think the Piper only cares about runs. And eight's not a lot. No. Eight's pretty standard. That's pretty standard. Um, now, I know old-time baseball guys would, would like it to stay around four or five. But, I mean, you look at their games. They scored eight against the Astros. Four, four, eight, eight, ten. Eight, eight, five, six, nine, nine, seven, one. 11 11 so like anytime they score big runs the piper resets they don't lose but they don't score a lot 
Right, the defense comes to play that Correct. for that next game. So no, I I think the Piper's big big chilling. He's big chilling in right Tampa now. Bay at this point. If you, I guess this could be like a four to three ball game at that point tonight. If you had to guess, yeah, and and I think it goes in favor of the Astros. Um, the, the way the Astros have played recently with that sweep of Atlanta just giving them so much momentum. I, I credit last night to just Tampa being good. I mean, Tampa's, Tampa's that team. Uh, but, but I think tonight the Astros bounce back in a big way. You saw Alex Bregman have a nice night last night with, with his home run. Uh, he's now up to 11 RBIs on the season. Kyle Tucker's at 18 RBIs. Jeremy Pena hit a homer last night as well. So those guys are, are starting to, to come to life a little bit. Um, and, and I just think Luis Garcia is going to have a good outing. He, he needs one at a 5.14 ERA so far this year. He needs a good outing. And I, I'm actually going to one-up you, James. You said 4-3. I'm going to go 5-3. Ooh. Big numbers. Big numbers. Astros win 5-3. That'd be a solid win because it kind of feels like you would get everybody to be happy at that point. Astros win. You don't see, quote-unquote, too many runs scored. And it kind of matches with what the Piper is looking for, not too many runs. See, we've been talking about a lot of baseball, and we've also been talking about a lot of spring games. A lot of people are talking about Alabama. And their spring game. James, could Nick Saban have a quarterback issue on his hands? Yeah, it doesn't sound like they've been too, too consistent with those quarterbacks. Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson combined for three interceptions during the A-Day scrimmage. And combined, completed less than half of their passes. Milrow had two of the picks. And then Simpson is a redshirt freshman who only attempted five passes last season. He had the one turnover. It was later revealed that Simpson was playing with a sprained UCL. But, man, what's what's Alabama going to do? Because Jalen Milrow, when he played the couple times last year when, when Bryce Young was hurt, he looked good. In flashes, there were explosive plays, and he was able to run the football well. But I never liked what I saw out of him as a passer. And now that kind of goes to to prove it a, a little bit. Um, Nick, Nick Saban said it was at, he was asked about having two quarterbacks already in the program versus a player coming in fresh from the portal. And... He said, we've tried to build this program here with the guys that we recruit and the people within our program, but we've had a few guys that come in and made real impacts on the team. And if we see an opportunity to do that, we're always looking for a way to make our team better. So it sounds like Nick Saban could be looking at the transfer portal for a new quarterback. And he may just find one in a quarterback out of Notre Dame and Tyler Buckner. 
Tyler Buckner has entered the transfer portal today, and it comes with a red exclamation point, which means that he does not want to be contacted by teams. He wants to do the contacting. James, is that a smart move on Tyler Buckner's part, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see how it's that bad. I mean, if he's able to go to Alabama, I think that helps both sides tremendously because there's also going to be other opportunities for other quarterbacks around the nation. It's not like there's only one school that's going to have a QB competition. There's plenty of there's plenty of other opportunities all around. Because if you if with the quarterbacks being that bad so far and one of them being injured, you're going to have to go out there and find someone. There's no doubt. You got to hit that transfer portal. Buckner started the 2022 season as the starter against Ohio State and Marshall before he suffered a shoulder injury against Marshall that sidelined him for the remainder of the season. He returned in the Gator Bowl going 18 of 33 for 273 yards, three touchdowns, and three interceptions. He enters the 2023 season as a junior, but he still holds three years of eligibility remaining. Considering that he just played three games during the 2022 season, he's eligible to take a red shirt. So, the college experience of it being his third year in a program and still has three years of eligibility remaining makes him the top quarterback prospect to enter the transfer portal in the spring session. Alabama's going to be looking at him. I think TCU would be looking at him. Stanford is going to be looking at him. But I think Alabama makes the most sense because if you remember, Tommy Reese, who was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, left Notre Dame for Alabama. And like we just mentioned, Alabama needs a new starting quarterback because I don't think Jalen Milrow is the guy to run a Nick Saban offense. So keep an eye on Tyler Buckner possibly going to Tuscaloosa. Earlier we talked about Will Levis's odds to go to number one in the NFL draft have risen exponentially. According to Caesars Sportsbook and DraftKings, Levis's odds to be the top pick moved from 40 to 1 to four to one today. Now, I, I think Bryce Young is still going to be the number one overall pick, and, and the betting odds seem to say that as well, as he is listed at minus at fourteen minus fourteen hundred to be the number one overall pick. But could Will Levis go number two overall to Houston? They need a quarterback. But with a head coach in D'Amico Ryans, who's very defensive-minded, I could also very well see them go and get Will Anderson or Jalen Carter or even Tyree Wilson. Some people have thrown Tyree Wilson's name around as being the number two overall pick. So things are going to get very tricky Thursday in Kansas City. And it, it all depends on what Carolina does, which according to Frank Reich and their general manager, 
they've already made a decision. They have a consensus agreement on who they're going to select for their franchise quarterback, and they are, quote, excited about it. James, do you think it's Bryce Young? Or could they be playing smoke and mirrors and just want to make Vegas very, very angry? Yeah, just go with a, go with Anthony Richardson after all. Oh, man. Yikes. No, it, it's got to be Bryce Young, right? It's got to be. You would you would think after everything you've heard you would you would certainly think so, uh, but look, I've, I've crazier things have happened. Let's let's just say crazier things have happened. Um, does Bryce Young have the most football IQ in this draft? Yes, but people are worried about his size. I don't know that you should be. But people are. So, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. I think all four of them go in the top ten. How likely do you think it is? How many How many trades do you think to get into the top ten? How many trades do you think will happen? One. Just one? I don't think Arizona stays at three. Who do you think they switch with? That I'm not sure, but I don't think that Arizona is in love mm-hmm. with anybody. So I think Arizona's at the point where, look, we just got a new head coach. We just got a new coaching staff. We'll take assets over having the number three overall pick. So I I could see Houston... We saw a mock draft the other day that had Houston going two and three. I could see Houston trading 12 and obviously a couple other things. I mean, we had also talked to Emory about that and be like, Cardinals are dumb. Well, that, that, that would be a horribly dumb move by Arizona. <laughs> That'd be I, terrible. I, don't, I don't disagree with that. I, I think Arizona should stay at three. I just don't know that they will. Mm hmm. Uh, but look, again, the NFL draft gets crazier and crazier every year. Because here's the thing. I think there's going to be at least – I could I could definitely see at least three trades happening. Three? To get into the top ten? Yeah. I think we could see two teams in the top ten switch with each other and then a couple of other guys try to come in. Oh. Oh. If they, if that happens, get your popcorn ready. Oh, it's going to be a blank show. Oh, on Thursday, there, because here's the thing: you're hearing reports here about this. You're hearing reports about Will Levis, C.J. Stroud. All of a sudden, according to according to this test, is an idiot. Like at this point, you don't know what to believe. Everything feels like smoke. I we don't know what exactly is going to happen because a lot of these organizations. They're pretty tight-knit, and you don't know exactly what they're going to do because they don't really let out their secrets too, too often. Correct. And a lot of them, they have the capability of very easily trading back because there's no set guys. With this draft, it's a little more scheme fit more than just straight-up talent. 4.17 on your Tuesday. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. We return here from Brian Kelly and Jay Johnson about their weekends in Baton Rouge right here on The Game. 
This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you're tired of your boring man cave, well, then you're in luck because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from AVI, and much more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 422 on your Tuesday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Yesterday, Jay Johnson met with the media fresh off their first conference sweep of the season. And Jay said that they're in a better spot heading into this midweek game than they were a week ago. I'd be interested to see how many teams in the country have not lost two games in a row this year. I know one. I think you'd be hard to find another one. So yes, it is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, the first uh, we lost last week, how do you kind of make sure that doesn't happen again this um, week? You know, I would credit. <laughs> well, we're in a little better position on the mound than we were last week. Uh, no question about that. And that's a direct credit to Paul and to Ty and to Christian for getting deeper into the game. So that matters. I mean, um, so I feel much better about that. Um, and it comes at a time of the year where anytime you can get some guys a rest or only throw once in a week or lower their pitch count out of the bullpen, that helps. Um, so I think that's probably the most important part. Um, you know, we, like I alluded to earlier, treating every game like a playoff game, we actually have a team challenge going on with our midweeks right now. And so we're, we're actually like treating it like a regional. And so we're in an elimination. This is how we're looking at it. And um, we did not try to win the game last week or anything like that. We got beat by a team that played really good that emptied the tank against us. Their best reliever and their Friday starter, and they couldn't pitch their best reliever this weekend, and their Friday starter gave up eight runs, and they lost. So it's, it's uh, you know, I've been there, though. I've been that mid-major coach. When you're on the road and you're playing a top-five team, you go for it. And um, so, you know, I, I just think we're in a, a better position going into tomorrow than we were last week. Jay Johnson also talked about the importance of beating Ole Miss the way they did and giving his team some momentum. Well, I mean, they all count the same in terms of the immediate and the standings. Um, I mean, and, and I obviously don't look at the series thing as much, um, but the games and, and all games have equal value. You know, with that being said, like it's one of the most consistent programs in college baseball. They're the national champion. They're the super regional every year. Um, you know, beyond you know the the worthy opponent and and so when you get these it's we're trying to have a great season but we're trying to build a program too and, and and work back work our way back to the top and so so yeah they matter a lot in, in terms of all of those things and um you know we were in position to win the sec west last year you know with a depleted staff and you know first year team and all that type of stuff and, and they took that from us you know and got hot and won the, won the national title so yeah, it matters. It matters a lot in those regards. 
LSU will host Nichols tonight in a 6.30 contest that you will hear right here on the game. Meanwhile, this weekend, they will host Alabama in in a three-game set at Alex Box, 6 o'clock on Friday, 6 o'clock on Saturday, and then 1 o'clock on Sunday. The storyline from this past weekend, though, was Tommy White leaving Game 3 with an injury. He didn't return to the game. He was seen standing on the rails of the dugouts for the remainder of the game. Jay Johnson offered an update on his RBI machine of a third baseman. You know, I didn't talk to him this morning. He went to class. Um, you know, uh, it was just a little sore, kind of dinged up. Um, so it just felt like um, it wasn't in his best interest for him to continue playing yesterday. And, um, you know, the body language uh, throughout the game, he was in the dugout, uh, didn't seem like a guy that was super overly concerned, you know, with anything. But it was probably in his best interest, as hard as it is to take out the national RBI leader, you know, in the conference game, it was, it was probably what we needed to do. Um, but I'm optimistic that it's, it's like a day-to-day thing that we need to treat and stay on top of it. And Josh Walker, our trainer, did a great job. So um, I haven't t- spoken to Tommy today, but I did talk to Josh. And it's kind of weird. Any updates on uh, Chase or... You heard a, a reporter ask if there was any update on Chase, meaning Chase Shores, uh, Chase Shores announced earlier today on his social media that he will miss the remainder of the season with a tear to his UCL. Uh, brutal blow for, for an LSU starting rotation that has really struggled to find its footing outside of Ty Floyd and Paul Skeens. Um, Chase Shores had started as as the Sunday guy and had really carved out a role there for himself uh, before going down with an injury. Lastly, Jay Johnson talked about Dylan Cruz and the numbers that he have he has put up this year. He simply said he's the man. He's the man. Yeah, I mean, like, I, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, whoever's the best at whatever they do, he's that in baseball right now. And, um, man, it's, uh, I mean, uh, JT Quinn got him out yesterday and made a pitch, and I was like, wow, like, that must have been a great pitch because it's, like, the only time he hasn't been on time, like, all season. Um, and just the, the self-control, the athletic talent, the focus, the work ethic, the discipline, team-first attitude. Um, man, it's uh, – I hope – again, I've said this before. I really hope everybody understands what they're watching right now because it's, it's not out there in, anywhere. James, is J.J. Watt being cryptic? If you go on social media at 417, so 11 minutes ago, the Houston Texans posted a tweet with the eyes emoji. Okay. And at 355 today, JJ Watt posted the exact same thing. Are they just in sync or is something happening here? Because here, here's the, the, two, the two choices I could see. Number one, J.J. Watt has decided to come out of retirement, which I don't think is a smart decision for him. But, you know, no, nobody can make that decision but him. Or D'Amico Ryans has hired him as an assistant coach. 
or he does what a lot of people do when they're a long time grade of one team. You go sign a one day contract. Retire as a Texan. Mm-hmm. That way you retire as a Texan for the day. That's- or or maybe he is in talks with D'Amico and they're looking at him and maybe they're like, Will Anderson? He's like, ooh, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing right there. I, I like it. I like the way I you like think. I like it. No oh, man. I yeah. There, there's a there's a bunch of possibilities, but the fact that they tweeted the same thing just 20 minutes apart, something something to keep an eye on for sure. If you're if you're a fan of the Houston Texans or just a fan of cryptic sports social media posts <laughs> like me. Uh, I, I you know. enjoy. You must love Michael Thomas's tweets. Then, not nah, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I don't like it when it's my team. I don't mind when anybody else is doing it. I don't like it when it's my team. You love. It's pretty much that's you with like. It's almost like the Kardashians. Where you're like love watching like everything blow up and everything Correct. be dramatic. Oh yeah. But as soon as it's like actually in your family, it's like come on, dude. Right, right. Why you got to be so dramatic? Right, right. If I get to watch it for my entertainment, sure. But if I'm involved in any sort, nah, uh-uh. you stressed. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> You're super stressed. Don't do that. 4.30, we'll take a time out here. Brian Peacock of the Peacock and Williamson Show joins us next. We'll talk about the NFL draft and should the Saints trade up to get Lucas Van Ness. We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 435 Crunch Times broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, to continue the conversation of the NFL draft as we are just two days away now from the commissioner taking the podium in Kansas City. Brian Peacock of the Peacock and Williamson Show joins us here on the game hotline. Brian, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Finally ready to get this thing going on Thursday. The whole pre-draft process lasts so long, and then finally you get to the final week, and it's like, oh, man, okay, we're here. Let's do it. Yeah, I was about to ask, do you get kind of tired of hearing people constantly speculate oh this team might do this this team might trade here and you it's got to get old at some point i mean it's fun and i know fans really love to go through and make their own mock drafts and envision all the different prospects and players that could be part of their team and that's part of the fun so to be honest with you i don't hate it uh it's a heck of a lot better than what goes on in june when nothing's happening at all so you know in that regard i can see why the nfl wants to drag it out and have the draft as late as possible um so it is somewhat fun, but then it's also funny because you forget, and every year we do it, and we forget how much lying and deceit and uh, how much we really don't know about who's going where and what prospects are, are uh, rising, which ones are dropping, and who likes who. Uh, in fact, you could go to my, my Twitter account, at BD Peacock. I just retweeted one today. It was great. It's from exactly one year ago, an NFL.com report. And it was uh, multiple GMs have told Tom Pelissero that Desmond Ritter, uh, Matt Corral, and uh, Sam Howell will 
most likely be sneaking into the end of the first round, and, and teams love them, and they're going to draft them in the first round of the quarterback. And those guys went round three, round three, and round five. So, um, and, and that's the week leading up to the draft. So there's so much lying, and it's lying season. And you have to just look at every report and say, okay, did this pass the test? I'm going to use my own eyeballs. Is this a first-round guy? And, and I, I think I'm seeing it with guys like Hendon Hooker uh, in this draft. And it's like, man, it, does that resume spell first round? I don't know if I can buy this getting mocked to number 12 to the Houston Texans. I, I just don't see it. You know, you talked about lies and deceit and, you know, mixed information. There was a report that came out today that, that has C.J. Stroud falling uh, due to a, a poor score on, on the S2 test. How much do you buy into that? Man, I see, and that's another one. I just I don't buy it at all. And the the CJ Stroud and Will Levis timelines have been really amazing too. Just watching watching their you know reported stock go up and down. As soon as the Panthers traded up to number one, everyone was talking about Bryce Young being the number one pick. You know, and everyone liked his tape, and you know they weren't sure about the size, but every analyst is like, oh, I think my my top quarterback is Bryce Young. And the Panthers trade up to number one, and all of a sudden. The betting odds go straight to C.J. Stroud. And everyone's like, oh, it's going to be C.J. Stroud. And it's like, what? You said it was Bryce Young yesterday. And today a team trades up and you think it's C.J. Stroud, so people must know something. And then all of a sudden that gets flipped. And meanwhile, um, C.J. Stroud is like, okay, well, he's going to go number two because everyone loves him. Oh, it's actually the, uh, the Indianapolis Colts that love him. And then uh, at the same time, Will Levis is like, oh, he's probably going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. And then he starts falling. Nobody likes Will Levis all of a sudden. He might fall out of the first round. And then yesterday – you get reports that actually teams love him. He might go number two or number four. So it's just amazing to see the guys go up and down. And I think a lot of it is teams not wanting other teams to trade up in front of you. So right now, if I'm reading the tea leaves and I'm, say, the Indianapolis Colts, I'm probably pretty happy if a message gets sent out there to other teams, if I want C.J. Stroud, that nobody likes him, don't like the S2, that he's dropping, and we really love Will Levis. So uh, if, if I'm using my cynical mind to look at this thing, uh, my guess is that the Colts love D.J. Stroud. So we'll see how right I am in a couple of days. In your opinion, the Aaron Rodgers trade yesterday going to the Jets, how much does that change things for either Green Bay or New York? Yeah, that's an interesting trade. It was so convoluted with so many different things, and then the swap of picks at 13 and 15 that it seemed like it was a lot that the Jets were giving up. And then you kind of strip it all down and break it down and – with the devaluing of what a you know a future pick will be with the 2024 pick that could be a second or a first, and I'm sure both teams are hoping that will be a first round pick, but you know most likely a later first round pick in that case. Uh, then it's it's really the value of kind of two second round picks, which is kind of the value we thought it was going to be all along. So I think it was a win for Aaron Rodgers to get out of there if that's what he wanted and to go to New York. And I think it's uh, you know it was, it was a really good trade, a win win, and and kudos to both GMs for getting their heads together, figuring out you know, how the Packers could feel good about that trade and how the Jets could you know, give up pretty much the value they were trying to give up with a couple of second-round picks and maybe just grease it for the Packers so they felt good about it and they could get this thing done before the draft and they, it didn't have to linger on into June and into the summer with the Packers and, and Jets trying to play hardball with each other. And then as far as the teams go, I mean – Sky's the limit for the Jets. They've already put together such a good roster. They won seven games with awful quarterback play last year. You plug in a Hall of Fame quarterback in an offense that he already knows. They got him. They got him a wide receiver in Alan Lazard that he already is familiar with and, and has a rapport with. And I mean, so much talent on that that New York Jets team. 
I got to imagine that's at worst a 10 win team if Aaron Rodgers is healthy all year. So um, they're a team that should compete for uh, the, the division. If you stack them up against the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins and certainly the Patriots, they look good on paper. Uh, we'll see how quickly it comes together with Aaron Rodgers, but I'm super bullish on the, on the New York Jets next year. And I think we've seen quarterbacks play so deep into their 30s and now 40s. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers probably has a little something to prove. So, yeah, give me give me all the Jets stock going into this season. And as far as the Packers go, I mean, it's just all about the quarterback. They still have so much talent on defense. Um, you know, what's that offense going to look like? How much of a step back is it going to take? Because Rodgers wasn't great, and the offense wasn't as good as in the last couple of years with the Packers last year. And Jordan Love has a lot of talent, so um, that one's really undecided. I, I can't figure out how I feel about what the Packers will look like this year. Who are some of your favorite prospects in this first round, and where do you see them falling? I I really like Will Anderson, and he's kind of gotten the uh, the over over analysis paralysis I think throughout this process, just because he's been on the radar for so long as the guy. Alabama, you know, better junior year statistically than or sophomore year than junior year statistically, and you know, with all the other combine freaks, you get guys that have longer arms. And, you know, that are heavier players that might look better from a, you know, a feeling perspective. But I mean, I, I don't, if I'm a GM, I don't think I sleep better than the, the GM that drafts Will Anderson. And I, I do think it could be the Texans at number two, knowing where D'Amico Ryans came from. And I cover the 49ers locally here in the Bay Area. And I mean, that's just, that, that's the way to build your team in this day and age. Um, you know, you need a quarterback, yes. And but if you don't believe and if you're not completely convicted in that quarterback that's available for you to be the guy and you still have a pick at 12 and you could even come up from 12 if you wanted to get that stud edge presence build around your defensive line with a guy that you know is high character is going to come to work high motor player that fits your scheme. I love Will Anderson. I love Will Anderson of the Texans and I think the Texans have a really good chance at a really sort of. Um, owning the draft and, and almost conducting the draft in a way because of those picks at 2 and 12, and they can sort of decide who gets a quarterback. If it's them that gets a quarterback, maybe they trade out and they make sure that a team that's not in their division gets the quarterback at 2 that they don't take. So uh, Texans is a super fascinating team to me and one of my favorite prospects that's really not getting uh, the credit he deserves at this point going into the draft is uh, is probably Will Anderson. He's my guy. Stick with him. With how uncertain these early picks are and then going on later in the draft and it seems to be more about a scheme fit rather than just the talent of the players themselves how many trades could you see happening in the first 10 to 15 picks oh there could be a ton and i'm kind of rooting for that texans not taking a quarterback at two scenario so i just think it, it really changes everything and you know the, the those mock drafts had gotten so chalky where it went bryce young cj stroud Will Anderson at three, then, you know, uh, another quarter, Anthony Richardson at four or whatever. Um, and by the way, Anthony Richardson's another guy that's, that's fascinating in his class just because of his raw tools, where he goes, who's able to get the most out of him and what he could be. I mean, such a fascinating player there. And uh, I, just, I don't see him falling too far, but I, I do think there's a chance that some quarterbacks could fall in this draft. So certainly if the Texans don't go quarterback at two, that does start to open things up for more movement, which, you know, one team likes this quarterback but not the other. This team likes this quarterback but not maybe these two guys. And so that'll be fascinating to see who moves up, who moves down, 
And I, I think there is a clear, you know, maybe 15 to 18, quote unquote, first round grade, like really clean first round grade players in this class. So there's, there's definitely a lot of opportunity for movement for uh, the middle of the round and maybe late round one where, where teams, all those players are off the team's board and you're sitting there at 20 something and, you know, you don't have a, a huge difference in your grades between 20 and 40 on your board. So you have no problem moving down for another team that wants to go up and maybe get the last one guy that they have that first round grade on. So uh, I think there could be a ton of movement in this draft, especially if the Texans don't go quarterback at two. Brian Peacock of the Peacock and Williamson Show joining us here on Crunch Time. Now, another team that intrigues me is the Seattle Seahawks. If if they were to stay at five, you know them pretty well since you cover the 49ers, so NFC West rivals. I'm wondering with them, they kind of almost pick like best player available or whatever their need of position is. Where do you see them going? Do you see them, if Jalen Carter is likely there at five, do you see them taking them or do you kind of believe the rumors of them potentially going with Anthony Richardson, even though they had extended Geno Smith over the offseason? Yeah, and looking at Geno Smith's contract, it's definitely a contract where you could absolutely have a perfect fit for somebody like Anthony Richardson. It might be the best fit for Anthony Richardson to go in, learn behind a veteran quarterback, and then after the first year of Geno Smith's contract, uh, the 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 Seahawks can do pretty much anything they want with it. They could, you know, cut him from there, restructure him, trade him from there, and so it's a, it's a team friendly deal. But it's a nice deal for, for for Geno Smith to finally get paid, and and you know after the season he had, and he was pretty awesome. So that's definitely a scenario that not enough people are talking about with that quarterback going at five. And I think in years past I would have said, oh, it's a slam dunk. They're going to draft Jalen Carter because there's been players in the past that you know maybe have some some checkered. Um, checkered history, some character questions, some red flags, and, and the, the Seattle Seahawks haven't had a problem bringing those guys in. They've gotten burnt a little bit as well. Malik McDowell, I don't think, ever played it down for them. And uh, and they spent a pretty high pick on him. And last year, it was a really high character class for them. And it seems like maybe they've turned a page in that regard. And then you factor in a, a 70-year-old coach, an old coach that might not want to coach up a you know a young quarterback that might be in win-now mode, so that changes the whole philosophy of what the, the Seattle Seahawks might be doing at the top. So they're a tough team to gauge, but they're in such a good spot because they could do whatever they want. They could trade down. They could draft a quarterback. They'll probably have a stud defender on the board for them to take, no, no matter uh, if it's Will Anderson or, or Jalen Carter or you know, Tyree Wilson. So uh, they're a fascinating team, and that'll really change the complexion of what happens in the top ten as well because – um, they could go a number of directions. And then, since we're here in Louisiana, last question for you, Brian. Looking at the Saints, they're currently at the 29th overall pick. There's still quite a few guys that they could get. They could trade up and go get a guy if they really like. Who are a couple of players that you really see that could fit well with the Saints, depending on where they end up going in the first round of the draft? Yeah, the Saints always feel like a wild card because they can be active and they'll be aggressive when they feel like they need to. And um, and I respect the, the Saints front office for, in a lot of ways, kind of being the the group that always feels like they they think they're smarter than the rest of the room, which can has worked out great and, and worked out poorly for them, I think, in recent history. Um, the Derek Carr move is interesting, so they think they probably are competing right now, and, and they're going to try to um, they're going to try to draft a player I think that helps them now the most I think the best fit for them if they could have a defensive end start to fall like 
Miles Murphy. That would be ideal. I think that's who I had going to him in, in my mock draft on the Peacock and Williamson show. Uh, I don't know if Murphy's going to get there, but there's just so many good edge rushers in this class that they might find one there for them that really fits. So that's probably my best case scenario is one of the stud defensive ends starts to slide to them and, you know, they be active and, and maybe go up a couple spots if they need to to grab one too. Brian Peacock of the Peacock and Williamson Show joining us here on Crunch Time. Brian, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, enjoy the crazy weekend of the NFL draft, and uh, we'll have you on again soon, my friend. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Pump for it. And there he goes, Brian Peacock, host of the Peacock and Williamson Show, talking all things NFL. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one, feels like our number three, of Crunch Time right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you haven't seen the defending World Series champs in person yet, well, don't worry. The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Oakland A's on Saturday, May 20th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and The Game in Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up. It's a goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up our number one here in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Who do you think is the best quarterback in the NFC? Not named Jalen Hurts. Do you think it's maybe Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys? Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings? Derek Carr of the New Orleans Saints? Or is it someone else? Maybe like a Jared Goff or... I don't know, Geno Smith or Justin Fields. I don't know. Just naming NFC quarterbacks right now. Right now, Derek Carr leading with just about 50% at 48.5. Next up would be Dak Prescott. Actually, others at 27.3. 15% goes towards Dak Prescott. And then the final 9% goes to Kirk Cousins. couple of guys like Chico. My man said Justin Fields. Enough said. <laughs> Steve said... Who is the best of the worst bunch of quarterbacks in the NFC? There you go. It's like asking, who do you want to take care to die at night in your sleep is not an option. One, run over by a train. B, falling off a cliff cliff into rocks. Or C, terminal illness. Do better two degrees. Ton, Matt Stafford, just because Dak isn't even on the best of his team, isn't even the best on his team. Kirk is a garbage time quarterback, and then Carr is a question mark this season, and then D is just chaos. A couple of other guys, if you want to get in, vote, and then comment either on Twitter or Facebook. Staying in the NFL, the Bengals have officially exercised quarterback Joe Burrow's fifth-year option for the 2024 season, saying, quote, this is a mechanical step along the way as they continue working with Burrow and his representatives towards securing his long-term future as a Bengal. Joe Burrow 
is going to get the bag. You might need a couple of Brinks trucks. Yeah, maybe. And Not I'm look- just one. I'm couple. looking at some of the comments on Adam Schefter's post, and, and, and I really hope some of these people are joking. Tua's better. Why would they want to keep Joe Burrow? LMAO beginning of the end. The Bengals are tanking this season, it appears. Like these have to be sarcasm. Because if they're not at the end and if these people are legitimately being serious, I I think they need to undergo a mental evaluation. Joe Burrow was the second best quarterback in the NFL this year. Argue with me. Argue with me. I'll wait. Joe Burrow was the second best quarterback in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Argue with me, please. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. Hear from Brian Kelly, hear from Matt Deggs, and we'll go to the moon right here on the gang. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time is here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 in hour number one. We talked with Brian Peacock about the NFL draft. We looked at the NBA playoffs and got you your top stories in sports here in hour number two. We're going to hear from Brian Kelly on the LSU spring game. We're going to hear from Matt Deggs on their tough weekend at JMU. And we'll go to the moon to talk about the Houston Astros who host or are getting ready to play the Tampa Bay Rays at 540. But to end hour number one, we talked about Joe Burrow getting his fifth year option. And I made the comment that Joe Burrow was the second best quarterback in the NFL last year. And James, during during the break, I I did some re, I did some research to, to back up my claim. So here we go. Joe Burrow finished second in the league in completion percentage. He finished sixth, fifth in the league in passing yards. He finished eleventh in yards per completion. He was second in yards per game. He finished second in touchdown passes. And he finished ninth in interceptions. Going a little further, he finished 10th in QBR and 6th in passer rating. And he had the 6th most sacks in the NFL. My my numbers collectively kind of back me up. They do. And then also just looking at it from an accomplishment standpoint because 
in the last two years when Joe hasn't had an, a torn ACL. Uh, a destroyed knee. He went, fr- he went from that to Super Bowl in his second year and then making it to the AFC Championship last year before just having kind of a collapse in the fourth quarter almost. But yep. in those two years, he significantly improved. He has turned around that Bengals organization significantly. Because before then, they we looked at them as a garbage franchise that couldn't get out of their own way. And now all of a sudden, we're looking at them as a potential Super Bowl contender every year. Not strictly because of Joe Burrow, but a main reason is because of Joe. I will say it till I'm blue in the face. He was the best quarterback in the NFL, not named Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And here's, here's another thing. Before that last AFC Championship game, he was undefeated against one Joe Burrow. He'd want, and it's not like he was a one and zero. No, he had beat him multiple times, including in the playoffs, to go to the Super Bowl. Correct. Joe Burrow has had Patrick Mahomes' number the entire time that he has been in the NFL. Outside of this one conference championship game this past year, Joe Burrow has owned Patrick Mahomes. So again, I will stand by my point. And look, I'm I'm saying this as a huge Patrick Mahomes fan. Joe Burrow's right behind him. Right behind him. And things are going to be very intriguing if both Burrow and Chase stay in Cincinnati long term. And if the thought process is true that they could be going get a tight end in this draft like a Dalton Kincaid ooh look out because Joe Burrow loves his tight end he loved Thad Moss at LSU and he loved Hayden Hurst the last two years they go get him Dalton Kincaid things could be very dicey in, in Cincy But speaking of LSU football, Brian Kelly met with the media following their spring game on Saturday, and he talked about how Jaden Daniels has developed, and he gave the update on if he felt that his team was close to competing in the SEC. But one position group that he spent a lot of time talking about was the defensive line. You have Mason Smith returning. You have key pieces now gone with Jaquelin Roy, BGO Jalari, and Ali Gay. How do you replace that? How do you beef up this defensive line for LSU that's going to be playing some really tough quarterbacks in the SEC? Here's head coach Brian Kelly. I thought there were some, you know, really positive things, right? Um, you know, Ovia Agufu is is uh, a really good addition. Um, certainly, you know, I think he, um, you know, we had, uh, you know, probably a sack on each side uh, against our right tackle and our left tackle. Um, you know, I thought that, um, you know, we were really clean inside. You know, I thought we we played, you know, good fundamentally sound football there. Uh, I mentioned Omar. I thought. You know, his addition is, is going to be really big for us. He made a great tackle in space against a running back. You know, that's 
that says a little bit about his versatility and what he can do uh, in the box, out of the box. Perkins was really good. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the plays that, that kind of stand out to me is we ran a counter and he was able to slip the second puller and make a, a TFL play. And that requires training, and uh, he's been really good um, picking those things up. So um, I think all in all, um, you know, the development of Harold at the linebacker position, the addition of, you know, Ovi and, and in particular uh, Omar, those guys have been really big for us. And, um, you know, they were the holes, if you will, that, that we were looking to fill with more mature players. Staying on the defensive side of the football, head coach Brian Kelly also gave an update on the cornerback position, which heading into the spring was the biggest question mark for the Tigers. Yeah, you know, we saw we saw some good things, you know, clearly, but it's work in progress for all of those guys in terms of, you know, where they need to get to for the fall. Um, you know, J.K. and Denver um, and, and Alexander, all three of them are still – you know, in that process for us in terms of weight room, um, in terms of the, the, the defense itself, um, and, and just the consistency of doing it at a high level, they're not there yet. We believe they can get there. Uh, we saw glimpses of it today. Um, you know, we saw glimpses of, of uh, LaTerrence, you know, his play today. Um, so... I just think that we're we're not there yet. We think we've got some guys that are capable of playing at a high level, um, but there's still there's still work to be done. Transitioning to the NBA playoffs now, Jimmy Buckets, James, is is Jimmy Butler the new ageless wonder? Now, I understand that Jimmy Butler is not super old. He's 33. But, God, last night he looked like he was 22. 56 points, 19 of 28 from the field, 15 of 18 from the foul line. And now Miami is up 3-1, to one, missing one of their best players. Right. It's so interesting with Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat because they almost kind of sleepwalk through the regular season almost. But then as soon as you get to the playoffs, Jimmy doesn't take it one step, like take a level up. He takes like three. Correct. Like he he takes his game to a whole nother level. And he oftentimes feels like at worst, the fourth or fifth, fifth best payer in the league. See, I texted you at midnight last night. You did, and that's what shocked me because you were still up. Right, I was. I couldn't go to sleep because I kept thinking, "How the hell did they do this?" Giannis had a triple double, and my philosophy when you've got a guy like Giannis, dude, if you've got Giannis getting a triple double and you lose, I I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And it's not just Giannis dropping a triple-double. Brooke Lopez had a 36-point point where he had a double-double himself. Like how, how do you have two players combined for 62, 21 rebounds, and 13 assists, and you lose? 
that that to me, maybe this is a hot take. Maybe this is an overreaction. I've been told I'm good for both of them. That right there, the fact that Milwaukee did that and they still couldn't win, they're done. They're done. They might win game five because they're going back home to Milwaukee. Right. I think they win it there. But when game six comes to Miami, it's it's over. It's over. It's over. Miami can sit Jimmy Butler tomorrow night. It wouldn't matter. Save his legs. It wouldn't matter. Sit him. <laughs> Win game six. Move on. I mean, don't don't really sit him. I'm I'm joking. But uh, again, you have two players combined for sixty two points, and you can't win. Your starters combined for. 98? Your starters combined for 100 points and you couldn't win! That is mind-boggling to me because, again, Miami's missing one of their best players in Tyler Hero who broke his hand. When that injury went down last week, you said, oh crap, Miami's done. Nah, fam. Miami's just getting warmed up. And that's what's scary. You know who else is just getting warmed up? The damn Los Angeles Lakers. James, they get scarier and scarier every time I watch them. I still don't think they come out of the West. Some people are saying, oh my God, LeBron's going to carry them to the finals again. I don't think so. But you feel like they have a good shot at making it to the conference finals. Yes. feel like they, they got a legit shot. I, I think they can make the conference finals for sure. I don't know that they've got the gas in the tank to to carry them all the way into the finals. I, I think they've used so much energy on this Memphis series, and I think they're going to use so much energy on their next series. And I, I just don't know that they're going to have enough to to move on all, all the way to the finals. If they do, I'll, I'll give them their respect. I just, I, I still don't see anybody stopping Denver. I just don't. And I, I've heard Lakers fans say, oh, but we match up so well with Denver. Matchups aren't everything. They help, but matchups aren't everything. So Denver's still my pick to come out of the West, and Boston is certainly my pick to come out of the East um, because they started off sluggish in this first round. But, man, let me tell you something. They're going to turn it up when they play Philly. They're going to turn it up when they play Philly. The Celtics? Yeah. Well. James if, is sitting here worried that they're not even going to get past Miami. I was going to say. it. You had to go to seven last year against it's Miami. And it's true. If, it, but that uh, Celtics team didn't have Malcolm Brogdon. Right. And now... Miami doesn't have Tyler Hero. Correcto. There it is. I, now, but I, I'm now you're picking up what I'm putting I'm, down. I'm still I'm still nervous Celtics fan. Oh, this guy. Maybe if you wore your jersey, they'd play a little bit better. <laughs> right. They they they'd break out. I'm just wear it every day for the next month. As you should. 
Four, 516 here on your Tuesday edition of Crunch Time. We'll take a timeout. We return here from Matt Deggs and Jerry Glasgow, and then we go to the moon at 530 right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app. It is now your one-stop shop for all things The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Download the free mobile app today for your Apple or Android device. Just search The Game, Southwest Louisiana. And no matter where you are, you can listen to The Game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. James Mesh, real quick, we'll get to the Cajuns audio real quick, like two minutes. Best one-two punch in the Western Conference is who? I mean, of course, you like Jokic, and you feel like Jamal Murray are a pretty good dynamic duo. You could also very easily say LeBron and AD, obviously, but you could also, even though they haven't played too, too long, but so far, Devin Booker and KD have looked pretty solid themselves. See, I think it's Booker and KD. I, I think their games just mesh so well together, and they complement each other so well. And a, a, a team that going into the playoffs you didn't really believe in them now kind of feels like a team that could make a run for a title right because they lost that first game against the clippers and then ever since then they've been on a roll they haven't they haven't really missed a beat since and and you know some people say that denver doesn't really have a whole lot outside of nikola jokic i don't buy that at all Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon has shown flashes here as of late. Denver's Denver's got a squad. It's not now, don't get me wrong, Nicole Jokic is the best one by far. But to say that he's all they have, come on, man. Mm-mm. Let's let's not do that. Let's go to the Cajuns now. Matt Deggs met with the media yesterday, and when he recapped the last week, he said that last Tuesday their win over LSU was a great night, and then they experienced an equally rough weekend. thought it was a great night Tuesday, though, and as equally great a night as it was for everybody Tuesday, it was probably uh, as tough uh, a, a way to lose on Friday. Uh I would like to say that it's easy to bounce back after something like that, but it's most certainly not. And it, it, to bounce back after something like that would require an unbelievably great pitching effort. And that park, that team's put up offensive numbers all year, even in their losses. And that park is very conducive to hitting. And that's where my disappointment was. I thought we would go in and, and outslug them and uh, just never could get on track. I think we were outscored 32 to 14. We stranded 31 runners. Just didn't play good baseball. Now, in fairness to them, I will say this, and I told Kevin this this morning, every time we did execute something, a pitch, it found a hole for them. And uh, every time that we did have good at-bats, not every time, but I bet there was 20 times, 
that we caught a ball right on the nose, it was caught, and that's baseball. And then they capitalized by riding momentum, and we didn't do anything to stop it. Uh, and that's how things get out of hand. Matt Degg said that for them, it's going to be good to get back on the field starting with Southern tonight. Yeah, I mean, and I'll say it again, I wish we had five-game week every week. And that's the beauty, beauty of baseball, and especially at the next level, is it's every day. You know, you may get swept. Uh, you know, the Astros will be swept this year if they haven't been swept already. They'll probably be in the World Series. Uh, but they're going to have a game the next day. If not, they'll have one day off and they're going to have a game the next day. And that's the beauty of baseball, and that's why I could never coach football because I would be the absolute worst loser ever. Looking at this three-game sweep of James Madison coming at such a unfortunate time for Louisiana, they now have to bounce back in a big way with sixth-ranked Coastal Carolina coming to Russo Park this weekend. Coach Deggs was asked, with this five-game week and that series with the Chanticleers this weekend, how do you want your team to respond? You just stay the course, and you just keep showing up, and the the – what most common folk do is they, they shut it down, they quit in their own mind before the best part. And believe it or not, these are the best parts coming up. I mean, school's going to be out after next week. There's no school. It's just baseball. Uh, and that, to me, is the mark of a really resilient team that been blessed to have a lot of, uh, that we just outlast people. And every time somebody writes you off, somehow, some way, you respond and come back. And you do that by just keep showing up, working, trusting the process, and, and playing your best baseball when it matters most. Earlier during the Jordy Hol Holberg show, we talked about Christian Shoemate staying put with McNeese. James, quickly, you know, what, what does that do for an already – pretty strong group that, that Will Wade has assembled. It kind of brings back some guys that already are familiar with the program because if you bring in a whole new squad, I mean, yeah, there'll be guys that Coach Will Wade wants, but you at least want to have some guys that have that are already familiar with the program, familiar with the school itself. Yep. So being able to bring back Christian Shoemate, who was a big part of the success that the basketball team had for McNeese last year I think that's really big because it brings a little bit of clarity and also uh news from the NBA we we're talking about the playoff series the Kings and Warriors will play tonight in game five and it was De'Aaron Fox told reporters that it's not a matter of if he's going to play He is going to play tomorrow night in Game 5. Not tonight, tomorrow night uh, in, in Game 5. He said, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I am playing. At what level, we'll find out at 9 o'clock tomorrow night. See how effective he is, but... But he says that he will be playing in Game 5 for the Kings. So... Big development there as, as that series is tied 2-2 and the Kings could really use the extra momentum heading into Game 6. Jerry Glasgow also met with the media yesterday, talked about their loss Friday night to Troy and how they responded in a big way, saying, we learned a lot about ourselves over the weekend. 
I like my ball club. You know, I told it in pregame Saturday at the hotel, I said the next two days are going to be really fun because you're going to learn things about yourself that you don't know. And me as a coach, I'm going to learn things about you, your, my team that I don't know, and I don't know what those things are because that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. But at the end of this weekend, we're all going to know things we didn't know. And when the game, the second game was over on Sunday, I said, Justin, what did you learn that you didn't know? He said, I learned we got a bunch of fighters, the kids that will really fight when they're challenged. Because it was kind of testy, like in the line, shaking hands afterwards. There was some, you know, good, friendly um, trash talk and nothing big, but just really, you know, a little more heightened than normal. Um, it was two, two really intense ball clubs. Uh, Troy and us after the end of that game and and I loved how our kids responded like we we fought like they they were ready to go and uh, that's stuff you don't know till you get in that position. Jerry Glasgow also talked about their series this coming weekend as they'll be on the road to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to take on Coastal Carolina. Yeah, you know, you it, it does. They they traditionally have been a really good hitting team on the drop ball. And you think, you know, when you go into that park and a short fence and a wind blowing out, well, we're going to stay away from the rise ball. But it's almost a trap because they get real, they're get they really good at hitting the drop ball. And uh, I'm sure this year will be the same because it's been that way ever since I've been in the conference. So um, you have to – you have to put some thought into how you want to approach their hitters and then how you win, win and how you want to challenge them. And uh, the the park's definitely a factor. It's also a factor when you write your lineup because you want to put kids up there that can take advantage of the ballpark, especially if we get that wind blowing out. So it affects a lot of different things. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of neat when each park and each stadium has their own I like that. It's kind of like baseball, you know, the Cubs or Boston or somewhere with a green monster. And so they got their, they got a unique field, and it'll it'll definitely play a factor. Yeah, you know, you travel. The travel, when you go to James Madison, that's a hard trip. When you go to Coastal Carolina or App State, that's a hard trip. And you got student-athletes a week before finals. Uh, usually that series is a little later in the spring because of weather. When you go up there and – you know, we got kids with their academic side on their mind. They're tired from a long season. They're tired from a long semester of hard academic work. And there's just a lot of reasons that this won't be an easy trip. And I think their record's, what, 33 and 15, something like that. I mean, they're a really good ball club. They're, they're in the 60s RPI. Anytime you're in the top 75 RPI, you've got a nice ball club. And so this is a this is not going to be an easy trip at all. Um, the ballpark is unique and wind usually blows out there's a lot of home runs hit out of that park um and uh you know a, a good coach so it's nothing will be easy about this weekend but um we got to find a way to, to to get wins james looking at this series for louisiana if they can get this one over coastal carolina that will be 80 straight sunbelt conference series one they haven't lost a Sunbelt Conference series since 2013. I was still in middle school at that point. I was a junior in high school. <laughs> Crazy how time flies, huh? Actually, hold on. 
I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Let's backtrack that. I was a sophomore in high school. The last time Cajun softball lost a series in the Sunbelt Conference. That is wild. Absolutely insane. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we're talking all things Houston Astros. Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU joins us. We're going to the moon. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkas and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is to the moon on Crunch Time with Minkas and Mesh. Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU joining us here for To the Moon. Dez, what's going on, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Doing well. I'd be doing better if the Astros would have won last night. But it's a 162-game yeah. season, so what you going to do? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the Rays are one of the best teams in the league. Obviously, that's not uh, you know, a hot take, but uh, I felt like we kind of one got away last night. So, you know, you look at last night's game, an 8-3 to defeat. One thing that I, I took away from this game, and, you know, Bregman gets a home run, Jeremy Pena gets a home run. Could, could it be possible that two guys that have really been struggling to start the year could be coming into their own? Yeah, I think going into these series against the Blue Jays, the Braves, and then the uh, Rays, that you had to see this team wake up a little bit. Obviously, they... They start off slower than what we uh, wanted them to, but uh, history has told us the Astros just start off slow. But to see those guys have those quality at-bats against these top arms over the last week, week and a half, it's a great thing to see. And as reinforcements come, Michael Bradley, excuse me, Michael Brantley um, coming back out of you know his rehab stint, hopefully Jordan Alvarez's neck is not an IL stint. And uh, to get this lineup extended and have these guys hit the ball well, I think it, uh, it bodes well for the future and, and obviously the next couple of weeks. The Astros are now 12 and 11 on the season, six and four away from home. You know, looking at pitching, Jose Arquiti last night, I'll be blunt, he, he, he wasn't good. Uh, two and two thirds, he gave up six runs, struck out three, walked two. But I, I will commend the back half of the bullpen with Seth Martinez, Ryan Stanek, and Blanco, who came in, gave up a lot of hits, but gave up very little runs and was able to strike people out effectively. Yeah, but look, it, I don't think any of those guys expected to get work in that early, but when the numbers called, uh, they produced. And I, I think that... Uh, Everyone in that bullpen is, is capable of stepping up and being that guy. And um, like you said, they scattered a bunch of hits, and that's all you can really ask for. Uh, obviously, when your starter only goes two and two-thirds, it's not great. And then the runs given up, obviously, is obviously not great at all. But uh, to see them do that and can build off that, I think is, I think is big, especially when uh, you have guys competing for, for those spots. I mean, you have the Montero, Neris, the Bray, Presley just kind of locked in. And look, these guys want to compete. They want to be, you know, one of those high leverage arms. And so to see them uh, have success is, is always a great thing. Five walks issued by the Astros last night. How, how do they kind of limit the, those free passes? Yeah, I think uh, filling up the zone. I think uh, is, is 
is the big thing with Luis pitching tonight. I think he needs to get ahead, stay ahead like he did in his last start. Obviously, uh, when he had 23 whiffs uh, in his last start on that cutter, um, I think Tampa has that probably circled. And, and Tampa, look, if Tampa spent money, they'd be the most, arguably, the I think the best team in the in the American League. I know the Astros have, have all the success, but the races seem to like, have these clones of top arms and top bats, and it's just up and down. It's tough. And uh, as an Astro fan, that's kind of what other teams uh, see when they play the Astros. So I think Luis needs to just get ahead, stay ahead, and you know if he gets beat by the long ball, you know solo shots, so be it. Hopefully his offense can pick him up. Kyle Tucker really, you know, having a, a breakout start to the season with 18 RBIs so far on the year, getting one early in the game yesterday in the first inning. Talk about his play so far, and now that that Jordan's out, how he's going to have to step up even a little bit further and carry that load. Yeah, I mean the the price of the brick is going up with Kyle Tucker. Uh, the more success he has, the the more his asking price is going to is going to go up, and uh, be great for him. Obviously, the Ashes are going to have a tough decision, and they're going to have to spend money to keep him here. But uh, I think that he needs to stay within himself. I think. When when teams you know are bit by the injury bug, like we we've seen with the Astros, Jordan going on the going back to Houston to get his neck checked out. Obviously, Altuve and Bradley not playing yet. Um, you don't want to you don't want to play the the hero card so early. And I, I think we saw that early with with Breggy a bit, and he got settled in. Uh, and Tucker's just need to be like, hey, look, I'm I'm still Kyle Tucker. They got a they got a pitch to me. I'm not going to expand my zone and 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 kind of give them outs when uh, they're trying to pitch around him because Jordan Alvarez isn't there. What, what do you think has taken the Astros so long uh, to, to, to lock up Kyle Tucker long-term? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's tough because they haven't done it in the past and this is, this is new. And obviously look, Jim Crane has, has had pocket aces. It seems on, on every call not extending Cole Verlander, Springer, Correa, and, and look what everything has panned out after that. I mean, um, obviously, the Springer one, people say like, "Oh, we should have done this," but you know, George is never going to resign. He's, he's a family guy, wanted to be up north, but everything else, Crane said aces on, and so uh, I think this one's uniquely different because Kyle Tucker is like entering his prime. As we haven't even seen the best of Kyle Tucker, and to lock that in, I think it's huge. We saw we saw Reynolds sign today with with the with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he got his I think three RBs bought out for 110 million. I think he left a lot of little. A lot of money left on the table there, and uh, I think Crane will dig in and be like, hey, look at this team-friendly deal where the players, you know, want to take care of themselves and their family. So I think it gets done eventually, but uh, the price of, of Kyle Tucker is definitely going up. Apollo Des joining us here for for To the Moon from Apollo HOU. When you look at the, the new guys, and we've talked about this a couple of times already on the young season, Corey Jolks has had a strong start to the year, hitting 305. He struggled last night, 0 for 4 at the plate. Yanir Diaz is a guy that, and maybe I was a little rash for this, but I expected a little more early on out of him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he has a he has a big bat. I think the book is kind of out on him a little bit on the attack, and he'll have to adjust, but. Um, We've seen him just climb through the ranks, emerge as one of the top prospects. He hits a dang cover off the ball when he when he when he does connect. But I think there's little learning curves. Uh, the Corey Jolk side, man, that guy is just a baseball player. Like 
legitimately when he digs in, he uh, he has tough at bats. He he makes it difficult. He does the little things right. He doesn't get uh, too far out of his zone. I think him coming off the bench against Atlanta getting that big hit is going to be huge for him, just just mentally and to build off that and. And look, these young guys get to get to pick the brains of Jordan Alvarez and Alex Bregman and Kyle Tucker and Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley and Jose Abreu. Like they get to lean on this plethora of baseball knowledge that a lot of people don't get, and I think that only makes the Astros better, and I think it makes uh, the individual even better. Looking at tonight's game, you know how how do the Astros bounce back with Luis Garcia on the mound and just kind of getting back on on track with with a really good Rays team 20 and 3 and they set a modern record for 14 straight wins at home. I think it's a it's a dogfight. Um, I think going into this these two series I was I sent on our Beyond the Diamond podcast with with Lima that 3 and 3 would have been great and obviously wanted to get greedy after sweeping the Braves but scratching one is is just going to be a complete baseball game. Uh, get a get a lead Get it to your horses and you know the, the high leverage guy in the in the back bullpen and let them let them do what they do. And so, offensively, I think they need to uh, keep building off it, uh, getting the guy over, getting him in, getting Luis a lead and comfortable, and let Luis just hopefully build off that start he had last last week where he just looked like 2021 Luis Garcia. So, um, I, I like the Astros tonight. I know they're dogs and and but I, I think that. Man, it, it just would—it would make a lot of sense to see Luis go out there and build off that last start in the offense, pick him up. The Astros getting ready to get underway, or actually just getting underway now uh, here at at five forty. Apollo Des of Apollo H O U joining us here on Crunch Time. Des, appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll do it again next week, my friend. Absolutely, brother. Hopefully, we're talking about Mauricio Dubon's like twenty-five game history next week. Right. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Des. Talk to you guys later. And there he goes, Apollo Des of Apollo HOU. Top of the first inning in Tampa. Alex Bregman's at the plate with one out. Runners on first and second. We'll take a timeout when we come back. We'll update you on that. Plus, earlier we were talking about ranking quarterbacks by conference. Let's look at what a CBS Sports expert had to say about that topic. We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse can help with your date night blues. As a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Go sign up today. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
We got a couple more minutes here on Crunch Time broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. James, earlier in the show, we were talking about who had who was the best quarterback in the NFL. Our poll question today is who's the best quarterback in the NFC, not named Jalen Hurts. Cody Benjamin is a CBS Sports NFL analyst. And he ranked out all 32 quarterbacks by conference. So let's take a look. We'll start in the AFC. Patrick Mahomes is at the top of the list. Of course. Joe Burrow's number two. Yeah. Josh Allen's number three. I can understand that. Justin Herbert's number four. Sure. Trevor Lawrence is number five. Interesting. Okay. Aaron Rodgers comes in at number six. Uh Uh-huh. Lamar Jackson comes in at number seven. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I... I'm I'm still waiting for Jalen Hurts. AFC. Oh, we're only looking at AFC. Yeah. I was wondering. I'm like, this is weird. Deshaun Watson comes in at 8. Okay. Two at 9. Jimmy G at 10. Russell Wilson at 11. Kenny Pickett at 12. Tannehill at 13. Mac Jones at 14. Gardner Minshew at 15. And Davis Mills at 16. That's the AFC. The NFC. Jalen Hurts comes in at number 1. Okay. Dak Prescott, number 2. Feeding the national media and feeding the gajillions of Cowboy Correct. fans, but okay. Kirk Cousins, number three. Interesting. Justin Fields, number four. Okay. Jared Goff, number five. Huh. All right. Geno Smith, number six. <laughs> okay. Derek Carr, number seven. There it is. Daniel Jones, number eight. Jordan Love, number nine. It's interesting that you put Jordan Love... Before any of the guys, even though you really saw, like, what, 10 plays out of? Correct. Jordan Love when he played the Eagles? Correct. But okay. Number 10 is Trey Lance slash Brock Purdy. Nice. I'm guessing whichever way you slice it, they're going to be number 10. Uh, Matthew Stafford, number 11. Kyler Murray, number 12. (laughs) Andy Dalton, number 13. Sam Howell, number 14. Baker Mayfield, number 15, and Desmond Ritter is number 16. The I have two glaring disagreements here, and coincidentally, there's one in each conference. I'll start with the AFC. Okay. I thought you would have started with the more obvious one, but okay. Lamar Jackson's number seven? What? Number seven in the AFC? So so you're saying he's like in the ten to fifteen range in the league? No. Cause I would I would still keep him in the top ten. Because are you telling Because oh. you would take Lamar over every quarterback except Jalen Hurts, probably. In yeah. The NFC? Okay. So at that point, if that's the case, if so he's, he's the seventh seventh or eighth, yeah. Still too low. Still too low. I can understand your argument for putting him in top five, but I, I totally get it at seven. When Lamar's seven healthy, eight. I think he's a top five quarterback. But then in the NFC. That's why I was shocked when you said sh- when he had put Trevor Lawrence at five. Correct. Trevor Lawrence is good. He's good. I wouldn't have put him that high. Now in the NFC. You know I don't agree with the Derek Carr thing. Of course. You have him at two, and they ha- he has him at seven. I, I don't agree with that. Um... Now, if I heard an explanation as to why you put him at seven, 
I might be able to, quote unquote, agree to disagree. But right now, that's just, that's bad. That's bad. And, 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 and what's your gripe? He's never won a playoff game? Well, he's only played in one. So that's not really fair. Has he, has he had weapons his entire career in Oakland slash Vegas? He had one year with Devontae Adams. He didn't he never really had a whole lot in, in Oakland. You like Darren Waller? Yeah. But th- is that enough to get you to the playoffs? Josh Jacobs is pretty good. I mean, you didn't really see him explode until last year. But you've, you've never had a great offensive line. No, he's you're, never had top tier. Your your defense has always kind of struggled. You've never set there in Oakland slash Vegas. Derek Carr was never set up for success. You're going to see a completely different version of Derek Carr in New Orleans. Mark my words now. Really want to appreciate you guys tuning in for the past three and a half hours. I want to thank our guests for Crunch Time, Brian Peacock and Apollo Dez for joining me. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Let's send it to Alex Box Stadium. And the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair.